Welcome to another episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples' Journey. This third and final episode for the week will cover chapters 15 and 16 of 3rd Nephi. So, Christ concludes what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, right at the temple here in Bountiful. And this is when he, so at the beginning of chapter 15, he he perceives that they have some questions because he had said that the old law, old things had been done away and that the law was, the the law of Moses was done. And so they're, they're confused and a little bit concerned. And they understood the saying that old things had passed away and that all things had become new. Uh, And he, he said that back in chapter 12, very close to almost the last part of chapter 12. Uh, right before he says, be therefore perfect. And this is when he's going to then teach them, okay, this is what I meant um, about the the law of Moses being being done, right? And this is obviously probably something somewhat difficult to understand. Uh, and the people could have, even though, I mean, Christ appeared to other people and Christ lived among other people who rejected what he taught. So these people could have, could have just the fact that Christ was in their presence did not take away their agency. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. But where we see their preparation being different and the success of the prophets, even though they had gone through such just like up and downs all the time, the prophets in the new world had been pounding, pounding, pounding that Christ was coming. And when he came, the law would be dead. Nephi talked about it. King Benjamin talked about it. Abinadi talked about it. Alma talked about it. The um, Ammonites, uh, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they recognized the deadness of the law. They kept it, but they knew it was just pointing them to Christ. The difference here between the new world, that we'll call it, the Nephites, and the old world, Jerusalem, is that although they had gone up and down in cycles, they had not. There was not a, a full apostasy in the in the new world. We have a blank. There's a blank hole between Malachi, which is the old of the the end of the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ, where I don't, prophets weren't really hanging around. There might have been some. We don't have the record of. But in terms of like what we have is the Old Testament. There's a gap of about 400 years between that and Christ's birth. And as we can see, as we see in the Book of Mormon, and as, I mean, look around our life in, today, life comes at you fast. 400 years, things can change a lot. And what do you get in 400 years with no prophet there to constantly remind you? I actually, uh, let's read, um, I want to say Omni will probably be the best example of what I'm trying to think of. Uh, no, sorry. Jerem is who I'm, sorry, it's Jerem. Jerem 12, well, there's only one chapter, chapter 1, verse 12. And it came to pass that by so doing, they kept them from being destroyed upon the face of the land, for they did prick their hearts with the word continually, stirring them up unto repentance. Uh, Enos says something very similar. He says, And there was nothing save it was exceeding harshness, preaching and prophesying of wars and contentions and instructions, continually reminding them of death and the duration of eternity and the judgments and the power of God and all things stirring them up continually to keep them in fear of the Lord. I say there was nothing short of these things and exceedingly great plainness of speech 
that would keep them from going down speedily to destruction after this manner. And after this manner do I write concerning them. It was important, as Enos and Jerem point out, that they had prophets always and teachers always reminding them about to prick their hearts continually, reminding them, stirring them up to repentance. Imagine 400 years without that. What do you get? You get Roman captivity. You get the Pharisees and the Sadducees split off in different sects. You've got uh, these, you know, the oral law superseding basically the written law. You've got, um, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it for you. What you have is apostasy, completely like utter apostasy. So when Christ then comes, no one in Jerusalem really, and I say no one, there were obviously his followers. Few people were prepared for the law of Moses to be done away with. The people in the New World, living the same law of Moses, they had the same. They had questions like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What'd you just say? It's done away." And then he teaches them, and then guess what they do? They accept it. Why? Because they had been prepared. They were not looking beyond the mark. And so when he says, Behold, I say unto you that the law is fulfilled that was given unto Moses. Behold, I am he that gave the law, and I am he who covenanted with the people of Israel. Therefore the law in me is fulfilled, for I have to come to, I have come to fulfill the law, therefore it hath an end. I do not destroy the law, destroy the prophets, for as many as uh, not yet been fulfilled in me, verily I say unto you, they all shall be fulfilled. So Elder Holland talked about this exact thing. He said, clearly the Nephite congregation understood this more readily than the Jewish world, partly because the Nephite prophets had been so careful to teach the, t- the transitional nature of the law. Benadiah had said, it is expedient that you should keep the law of Moses as yet. But I say unto you that the time shall come when it shall no more be expedient to keep the law of Moses. In that same spirit, Nephi emphasized, we speak concerning the law that our children may know the deadness of the law. And they, by knowing the deadness of the law, may look forward unto that life which is in Christ and know for what end the law was given. And after the law is fulfilled in Christ, that they need not harden their hearts against him when uh, when the law ought to be done away. That kind of teaching, a caution against hardening one's hearts against Christ in ignorant defense of the law of Moses, could have served and saved so many living in the old world when the living throughout the world and then uh, living throughout the old world then and living throughout the world now. And you can read the, throughout the entire New Testament. Paul's pretty big on this. Um, and the, the whole book of Hebrews really is about, look, here's the law. Here's the, it's, it's done, though. The, the high priest came. We no longer need it. But Paul hammers that a, a, quite a bit. And when, when we read in the New Testament uh, the words, the law, it's, it's not talking about the gospel in general. It's not talking about commandments in general. It's talking about specifically about the law of Moses. Uh, and and so even after Christ left, the battle that the the apostles had to fight was was that that there's the, the law of Moses was done away. We don't need to keep the rites and ordinances of the law of Moses anymore. We have new things to point us back to Christ. Um. So. Uh, let's see. Uh, continuing from Elder Holland, he said, it is, it is crucial to understand that the law of Moses was overlaid upon and thereby included many basic parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which had existed before it. It was never intended to be something apart or separated from and certainly not something antagonistic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Its purpose was never to have been different from the higher law. Both were to bring people to Christ. Thus Jesus could say, For behold, the covenant which I have made with an, 
uh, with my people is not all fulfilled, but the law which was given unto Moses hath an end in me. Christ then turns to the, his chosen disciples and says, You are my disciples, and you are a light unto this people who are a remnant of the house of Joseph. And behold, this is the land of your inheritance, and the Father hath given it unto you. Elder, uh, F, or sorry, Elder Orson F. Whitney said of uh, this land, he said, Another name for America, authorized by the Book of Mormon, is the land of Joseph, referred to by the patriarch Jacob in blessing his twelve sons. Check out Genesis chapter 49, by the way. Pretty cool chapter about this land. And by the prophet Moses in his farewell benediction upon the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob's allusion to Joseph as a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over a wall was fulfilled in the migration of Lehi and his companions from Asia to America over the Pacific Ocean. It is hardly necessary to add that one of the main features of the western continents are those mighty mountain ranges, the Andes and the Rockies, well termed by the Hebrew patriarch Jacob as, quote, the everlasting hills. Nature's depositories for the precious things of earth, gold, silver, and other minerals and for the, quote, precious things of heaven, the sacred records already discovered and others that are yet to come forth. That's the that's this land, and this is the land of the inheritance of the tribe, of Joseph's people, right? And Christ specifically uh, says this. This is something that's echoed in throughout the Book of Mormon by, by Nephi and other uh, writers but from Mormon. Um, and Christ here puts his stamp of approval saying, yes, this is, the land of, of Joseph's people. Christ then turns um, and he echoes something that he says uh, to his people in the new world. In John chapter 15, he says, uh, in John 15, he says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And Christ says, hey, I told them that. And I didn't tell them about you specifically. Didn't tell them about this uh, land given to you of the house for, for the house of Joseph specifically, but I just said there are other people. And then he says, you are those other people. And there are other people, even besides you, that aren't, that aren't you and aren't the people of Jerusalem. There are other sheep that are, that are still my sheep. And the point he wants to make though, is that there is one shepherd. And so this comes from, uh, a man named George M. Mackey. It's from a book called Bible Manners and Customs. And he's talking about shepherds. He said, By day and night, the shepherd is always with his sheep. This was necessary on account of the exposed nature of the land and the presence of danger from wild animals and robbers. One of the most familiar and beautiful sights of the East is that of the shepherd leading his sheep to the pasture. He depends upon the sheep to follow and they in turn expect him never to leave them. As he is always with them and so deeply interested in them, the shepherd comes to know his sheep very intimately. One day a missionary meeting a shepherd on uh, one day a, mission, a missionary meeting a shepherd on one of the wildest parts of Lebanon asked him various questions about his sheep and among others if he uh, if he counted them every night on answering that he did not he was asked how he knew if they were, were all there or not he re, his reply was master if you were to put a cloth over my eyes and bring my sheep and only let me put my hands on its face i could tell in a moment if it was mine or not uh that's this story of, of a shepherd and the intimate knowledge that he has of his sheep. I think it's powerful when we think about Christ as the good shepherd and him saying to the, to the Nephi people, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. There should be one fold, one unity, right? Knit together in unity and one shepherd. He is the shepherd of us all. And this unity of faith, it reminds me, 
of, um, let's see, and this even gets into chapter 16 as we, a bit, but he says, uh, and shall be numbered among my sheep there, and there shall may be one fold and one shepherd, therefore I go show myself unto them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us one of the purposes uh, and the main purposes of the church is to unity, is to unify us, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Uh, And Mosiah chapter 18 is this great lesson about Alma baptizing at the waters of Mormon and the people who come out, their hearts are knit together in unity. I mentioned the previous episode this week. What saves the world? What unifies people from all backgrounds? No matter if you're black, white, brown, green, you speak, uh, what I don't know, German, you speak uh, Japanese or English or whatever you speak and wherever you're from throughout the whole world, whenever you're from, what is it that binds us together and can bind us, bind us together and unify us and stop discord and stop fighting and contention? What is it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we become one fold with one shepherd. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 also talks about one faith, one Lord, one baptism. This is, it's unity. Christ, uh, unity is an is a important aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, t- he teaches that he and his Father are one and that the Holy Ghost is one with them and that in John chapter 17, he prayed for us in the great intercessory prayer that we may be one even as he is one with his Father, right? How is that possible? Look around the world and like ask yourself that. Take off, your, take off the gospel glasses for just a half a second, look at the world, and put them back on. And for that half second that they're off, how is that possible? Look at the discord and the contention and the you versus me and the us versus them and the left versus right, and the blue versus red, and the black versus white. It's everywhere. That's what Satan wants. So discord, stir up to anger. But Christ is, is, the, is the good shepherd. Christ is the prince of peace. His gospel is a message of peace and happiness and hope and joy. And that unity is possible because of his great atoning sacrifice. The great intercessory prayer is important to note because he prays for unity and then what does he go do? It's right It's right when, just before and right when he is suffering for the sins of the world and suffering for us. Suffering for our discord. Suffering for our disunity so that we could, so that we can be one. And he teaches them this. He says, That there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There shall be. Elder Neely Maxwell talked about the personal touch of the Savior and his knowledge of us. He said, Jesus is so personal in his shepherding, sorry, shepherding and tutoring. Jesus knows and cares for each individual. He watches carefully over the seemingly smallest of things. I, if you haven't seen the Testaments ever or in a while, I recommend you go watch it. Uh, the very end of that movie just like hits me every time. The father, Helam, had waited his whole life. He had seen the sign of Christ's coming at birth. Is disheartened because they'd, he'd forgotten. As, as we kind of see that 
in Third Nephi 11 that they they only remembered after they after he announced who he was that he was going to show himself after his death. So he's disheartened in the movie after he died, after the sign of Christ's death, that he didn't come and he didn't get to see the Messiah. His son takes him to to Christ after he's come, kind of goes through the crowd, but they're standing a ways off. And then Christ comes over and says, heal him, and just says the guy's name. And when that, in, that, in that moment, I bawl like a little baby every time because I think of Christ coming to me and saying my name because he knows my name. And he knows my family, and he knows the innermost desires of my heart. He knows my flaws, he knows my weaknesses, he knows my strengths, he knows my desire to be like him. And I imagine myself in Helam's position, and and the Messiah coming to me and saying my name. And then as he does to Helam, placing his hands on, on me, and healing me of my physical, but more importantly, my spiritual weaknesses and, and imperfections. Um. Yeah, just it uh, it gets me. Uh, chapter. We'll move on to chapter sixteen and kind of and close out uh, for the week. Chapter sixteen in verses four through seven. Uh, it he, Christ teaches us that the Book of Mormon will spread forth and bring forth the knowledge of Him of of Christ. And President Boyd K. Packer said, the, the central purpose of the Book of Mormon is it, its testament of Jesus Christ. Of more than 6,000 verses in the Book of Mormon, far more than half refer to directly to him. So we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. Uh, throughout chapter 16, he also says that the Gentiles will be blessed if they uh, believe in him, follow the Holy Ghost, really, and that witnesses of him. And if they uh, repent and return to him, they will be blessed and they will be numbered among the house uh, of Israel. And we see that in our day. We see the fulfillment of that uh, as the restoration of the gospel continues to unfold, as the second coming of Christ continues to unfold. We see that as we are penitent, no matter our background, race, creed, or history, uh, and we come unto Him and enter into the covenant path. The covenant path is that is the what makes the house of Israel His chosen people. What makes it uh, the the house of Israel the covenant people? It's that path. It's the covenant path. And so, as we enter it, no matter what our past was, we become part of that um, that house of Israel, and. He promises that in the last days he will bring forth Zion as his people and that he will see eye to eye. He says, The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. So verses 18 through 20 come from Isaiah chapter 52. And if we flip back to Mosiah chapter 12, this is the chapter that sparks Abinadi being killed. Uh, the priests of Noah ask him, Hey, what does this mean? And they say, hey, how beautiful, what does it mean, how beautiful upon the mountains are then that publish, uh, bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. And then it says, thy watchman shall lift up the voice, break forth into joy. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm, and all the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. It's these exact verses. The only addition is the verse directly preceding it is also added. And 
this this chapter, uh, well, in Isaiah chapter 52, they, they're asking about this and saying, what does this mean? Abinadi goes on to teach them exactly what it means. It means that Christ is coming. It means that, uh, means that those who preach the gospel f- and follow him, they are the blessed ones. They that publish peace, right? And uh, the priests of Noah, maybe I, one of the thoughts I've had is that they were asking, well, well what does it mean? Because it says that he, he's going to save all nations. Christ then reiterates here the true meaning by te- teaching us in the preceding verses that we have to repent and come and return unto him. But if they will not turn unto me and hearken unto my voice, uh, I will suffer my people, the house of Israel, that they shall go through among them and shall tread them down. Who is he saving? Who is that? Who is the verse that, that Isaiah is talking about? That who shall see the salvation of God? Well, who and who's going to? Well, first of all, who's who's going to see it? All nations, everyone's going to see it. But who's going to be saved? It's the house of Israel. The priests of Noah thought, "Oh, look, we're we're a remnant of the house of Israel." They'd been taught that it's, it had been proclaimed throughout from Nephi and everyone else before them and and after through the Book of Mormon. Hey, remember, we're a part of the house of Israel. We're broken off. Christ, even in chapter 15, hey, you're you're the other tribes that are lost. You're my other sheep. But Christ makes it very clear here that to be saved, they have to be a part of the house of Israel. And that doesn't just mean by birth. What that means is through covenant. By making and keeping sacred covenants, by getting on and staying on the covenant path, that is who uh, will see his holy arm. That's who will receive salvation. That is who is blessed. That is who will create Zion and usher in his coming. Um, wow, I have so many more notes. and But it's just like a lot. So we're going to call it a wrap for the week. Uh, I hope that this has been able to help you in your study and will help you in your study this week. Appreciate you listening. It's always great to just chat with you. And I appreciate your um, comments and things on Facebook, the, the emails that I receive. Um, really, thank you. It helps me. It motivates me to, I mean, there's weeks where I'm just like, ah, man, I don't, it's hard to to do this podcast. And I mean, like I've said before, probably my wife would probably love it if I just said, hey, I'm not going to go spend the couple hours that it takes. But I appreciate her letting me. I appreciate you guys listening and, and participating and uh, making me uh, a better student of the scriptures. Um, I've learned a lot from you and because of you. And so I, my, I just hope that I'm able to return that favor um, and that we can grow together. Uh Good luck studying this week, and I hope you enjoy it. It's, I mean, always a joy to read the words of of, of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I testify in closing that he is the light of the world. He is my light. He is my shepherd. Uh, I think it's important to have a testimony that Christ is the, is the good shepherd and the savior of the world, and the light of the world. But I also think, uh, for me, it's important to know that he is my savior, uh, my shepherd, my light. Uh, you know, in life, we can sometimes get off course. And it happens, as I've mentioned, in, in subtle degrees and um, 
just by changing our focus ever so slightly. But I testify to you that repentance is real and is always readily available, and that as I have turned to the Lord in prayer and in deed and in thought to seek help in changing and repenting, He has been there and He will continue to be there, and He has blessed me with His love and light and spirit. That's my testimony to you in closing. And I hope that you are able to feel that light and love and spirit this week as you study his words. Good luck and we'll talk next week.